February 9th, 2022. Let's begin tonight and let's really uh, discuss this Gemara in Masech Berachot Dafnun He Amud Aleph. It's a Midrash. Some of it well known, other parts of it perhaps a little less. It will be, as was last week, a segue between Bereshit in some respects and the, contempt, and, and, and the parashot these days of the Mishkan. It says the Gemara, Amar Rav Shemuel Bar Nachmeni, Amar Rabbi Yonatan, Bitzalel, that name Bitzalel. Of course, the name Bitzalel will be a, a figure, an important figure, an important person in the construction of the Mishkan. He'll be mentioned in Parashat Kitisa, he'll be mentioned again in Parashat Vayakel. Bitzalel, Al Shem Chochmato Nikra. You should know his name, Bitzel Kel, in the shadow of God. You might now understand the title of the class, Living in the Shadow. He was known as such because of his chokhmah, because of his intellect, his knowledge. At the moment, at the time that God speaks to Moshe and tells him, go tell Bezalel to construct for me a mishkan, uh, in the Mishkan there should be Aaron and Kelim and the other utensils. Halach Moshe Aaron mishkan. Instead of first mentioning the Mishkan, and again, this is Diukim, although the Gemara doesn't make it clear, Rashi quotes it, you read the Pesukim, it's Pesukim Parashat Kitisa, Moshe's words, or at least the description in the Torah of Moshe speaking to Bessalel and instructing him is to first make the Aron, and then make the Kelim, and then mention of the Mishkan, which is a little bit funny. You make the Mishkan, or at least you mention the construction of the Mishkan, and then you mention what goes inside of the Mishkan. It was, after all, the way that God instructed Moshe. Amar lo, so after Moshe speaks to Bezalel, again, here's the conversation. Moshe turns to Bezalel and says, listen, this is what God commanded. Make an Aron, make the various utensils of the Mishkan, and make a Mishkan. Well, responds Bezalel, Amar lo, Moshe Rabbeinu, min olam, adam bone bayit, kelim. You first construct a house, and then you get your interior decorator, and then you buy the furniture for it. For what reason is it that you've had the opposite order? Kelim shani I'm going to construct the utensils first, based on the way you instructed me. Where am I going to enter them? Where should I put them? Shemeh perhaps continued Bitzalel in the construction, in the reconstruction of the Hachamim. Maybe this is what God actually said to you. Construct for me a Mishkan and then Aaron and then Kelim. And it was again, Moshe comes to Bitzalel and the description in Parashat Kitisa seems to flip it. And then if you continue to what Bitzalel actually does, you have it in the right direction. So the rabbi is picking up on that, say, Amar lo, sheme bitzel kel hayita viyada'ata. Says Moshe, that's right, you got that right. You know, so to speak, you caught me on my blunder over here. I shouldn't have said first the kelim and the aron and only then the mishkan. Maybe it's because you were in the shadow of God. Oh, that's the first of an immediate midrash, second one afterward, in here in the Gemara Masechet Berachot. I have just one or two questions. First and foremost, all right, I understand the Diukim and Pesukim. What's the significance of that? Is there a significance beyond just reading Pesukim carefully and noticing a shift in the order? And does it, in turn, second question, what's with the shadow of God? It's an interesting description. It certainly fits into his name. Maybe his name could have been Hacham or Hachamka or something like that. What's Betzel of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Betzel Kel? How does that, in some way, uh, fit this character of B'Tzalel specifically in this Midrash. Furthermore, says the Gemara, and this part 
perhaps more well-known, at least to me, Amar Yehuda Amarav, Haya Lesaref Otiot, Bahen You should know, Bitzalel had knowledge, and what he worked with in constructing the Mishkan was knowledge of bringing together, being Misaref, the letters with which the heavens and earth, the Shamaim and Aretz, were created. Uh, if you talked about enigmatic, mysterious statements, what does that mean? B'tzalel knew, say he was a great craftsman. The Torah says so. Instead, the description is, he knew how to put letters together. What, what, what does that describe? Well, there's a derasha, of course. In Ketib HaKhan, the one in the Pasuk says in Parashat, Vayakel, Vayimale Oto Ruach Elohim Bechokmao Bitvunao Bedat. The description of what God pours into, what God fills B'tzalel with is, those famous descriptions of chokmah, tevuna, and dat, chokmah, bina, and dat. And on the other hand, the Pasuk says, in the context of, so to speak, the construction, the creation of the world, in Mishle, Adonai bechokmah yasad aretz, konen shamayim bitvuna, there's tevuna, there's chokmah with which God brings forth the world, uchtiv bedat teomot nivke'u. And furthermore, there's dat, so there's chokmah, bina, and dat, with the construction of heavens and earth as well. So it all works very beautifully, again, in the technical respect of the rabbis plugging in the words, and first and foremost, what's with the putting letters next to one another in order to construct? And secondly, and beyond that, well, what is it about Shamaim and Aretz that in any way is associated with B'Tzalel? Just giving that Jack a sheet. Uh, so those are the four questions that we'll begin with. Again, first midrash of two, one after another in Gemara Masechet Berachot. First and foremost, what's with the meaning, the depth of this shifting of order of B'Tzalel from the Kelim to the Mishkan, which he's, uh, which he's praised for, he got it right. Secondly, why is it as a result, so to speak, the rabbis say that's why his name is B'Tzel in the shadow of God. And then the second midrash, what's with the putting together letters, just what does that mean? What are they talking about. And secondly, what's with the heavens and earth? And in any way, uh, shape or form, are these two mitrashim contingent one upon the other, which would be my direction. They're mentioned one after the other. Well, uh, first and foremost, we'll move backwards. We'll move backwards, really backwards. We'll start with the uh, putting letters together. We'll deal the technicalities of how to understand what the coding of the hachamim is, and then take it and expand it further. First and foremost, uh, putting letters together. There are there is an expansive Kabbalistic literature with regards to the creation of the heavens and earth being with letters. How so? Well, take for example a look at the Gemara, well-known Gemara. It's a one line in the Gemara in Masechet Sanhedrin, Daf Samechem Mutbet. It's again mentioned on Daf Samech Zayin Mutbet. Rav Hanina, Rav. Every Erev Shabbat, these two rabbis would sit and they would study, they would, be, uh, they would delve into the book called Sefer Yisira, the book of construction. We'll discuss what that is in a second. And then they would uh, create a fat, a, a healthy egel, what's that, a calf, and then they would eat from it. Uh, what is that uh, describing? Well, in the most literal sense, and for the moment we can take it literally. It's not, not significant one way or another uh, for our purposes, but the description is through Sefer Yesira, they were able to craft something. 
what is Sefi Yisra? We'll take one look at Sefi Yisra. It's a book which discusses letters and their role in essence, in existence. What it's describing more than anything, beside getting into the depth of what it actually means, it's describing in the eyes of the rabbis when we talk about existence and the words of Jack, as he's told me many times, the coding is letters. That's it. The davar is made up of letters, and that's shamayim na'asu. The description is that letters, so to speak, are what underlie everything, as I've mentioned on more than one occasion. That's the chokhmah that underlies this whole realm that seems to be an obsession these days of gematriah. I mean, what, what does it mean? What is gematriah after? So the Mishnah Perkevot says it's parperet, it's parparot le chokhmah. It's the way that you have the dessert for chokhmah. How's it associated with chokhmah? What is a gematriah? Well, if you envision all of existence as being coded with letters, as opposed to numbers, I guess, the way we do coding uh, today. But if it's letters, well, it means that if there's equivalent letters that underlies this entity, this item, and the same ones on this one, there's something that links the two together. Of course, that's many assumptions. A, the assumption that letters underlies, and B, that these names are, so to speak, natural names and not man-made descriptions of them, or man-made, and there was a certain chokhmah that kind of just came about by so doing. For our purposes, the description of Bitzel crafting the Mishkan with siruf otiot already for me is a classic description of a depth of creation. If you know how to create, you know how to get to the very core of the matter, you know how to code it appropriately. The rabbis refer to that as siruf otiot in this context. There's a certain obsession, for good reason, of the letters of his name and how each one of them are encoded with meaning. There's plenty. Rav Cook wrote an entire book on the letters. The Mikubalim love to analyze that. The Gemara Masechet Menachot has a small segment in which, when they're talking about the halachot of the letters, they then look into the flow. Well, what, is the, what the letter looks like? What's the meaning of that letter? Letters are the coding in the eyes of the Hachamim through and through again and again and again to the extent that I've, I've described this on many occasions, we'll just mention it in this context for a moment, the letters of the Torah, if you recall, according to Ramban, and it's a real Kabbalistic tradition, one from one, the Beit of Bereshit, the Lamed of Israel, well, it's all the name of God, and it's just a question of how you separate it to give meaning to it. The coding of existence are those letters. How you separate it? Well, no, that's the way you make sense of this. You'll separate it one way in our world, if you were living in outer, well, another planet of some sort, well, you're dealing with the same reality in terms of truth, but the constructs and the context is altogether different, so it means the letters are just separated differently. But the letters are the coding, the coding of existence. That's the description, first and foremost, going backwards. Secondly, and this, I think, should be somewhat apparent as well, if you're familiar with my motifs and the motifs of the hachamim in many circumstances, if you look at the construction of the mishkan, Aside from once the Mishkan is there, what that symbolizes, we've discussed on several occasions, the construction of the Mishkan takes a certain order. And the order, and I'm, I'm only giving you the Midrash Tan Chuma here in source number three, but on other occasions we've elaborated and explained this at greater depth. The order, the words, the descriptions of the construction of the Mishkan, very closely, not identical, but very closely parallel the construction of heavens and earth. So to speak, the creation of the world as we know it. Take a look very briefly, and it makes a lot of sense. 
if this is your new reality with this Mishkan for connecting to me, well, it's going gonna, it's gonna to in some way mirror the way I began this all, says God. Now you create that microcosmic reality. The Ma'on, the Mikdash, the Mishkan, is in some way shakul, it's parallel in terms of weight, in terms of scaling to the creation or to the existence of the world. Kesad, how so? Well, here we go. Barishon, the first day, Bereshit Barai, Pasuk describes how the heavens were spread out like a yiri'ah, like a fabric of some sort. What do we call that? A yiri'ah? A sheet, I guess. And so the Pasuk says that's the heavens. And of course, in the Mishkan, you had yiri'ot izim. You had these fabrics made of izim, fur, and whatever. And the same word already being mentioned. Again, they're going to be clever. There'll be direct parallels, some of which they don't mention, but the vision already of the hachamim is that's what's being done over here. The second day, the description in the Torah is bringing forth this rakia firmament. Isn't that what they, they, they translate it? Separation between upper and lower waters, be it as it may, whatever it is, we've discussed on other occasions, and it's mavdil ben ma'im la'mayim she'ne'emar v'hi mavdil ben ma'im la'mayim um be'amishkan v'hivdila ha'parochet la'chem in the mishkan, there's a major central separation, that's the parochet, which separates, the curtain separates between the Kodesh and the Kodesh HaKodeshim. Bashilishi ketiv ma'im, shenayimar yikavu ha'mayim ha'mishkan, ve'asid ha'kiyor nechoshet v'chanon nechoshet l'rochsa v'natata sh'am ha'mayim. They're being expansive and they're being creative in parallel. It's not a direct parallel, but there's water on day three, water in the Mishkan. And of course in the Mishkan there's the menorah. His birds, Ubamishkan, Vayua Kirubim, Porosekinafaim, they had wings. Of course, this conspicuously missing from this Mishkan. The other thing that's created on day five, and that is fish, and there's no fish in the Mishkan. All right, questions. Bashishi, Nivra Adam, Adam In the Mishkan you have Kohen Gadol, but here's the most telling. And there are many, but here's the most telling. Listen to the words. Day seven, Vaychulu Hashamayim Vahaaretz. Final day before, you know, final day of the Mishkan is, uh, what, what are the words? Vatechel kol avodat mishkan vaychulu and vatechel. Bibriyat haolam, what comes afterwards? Vayvarech Elohim at Yom HaShivi. Bamishkan ketiv, vayvarech otam Moshe. Berachah right up. Bibriyat haolam ketiv, vaychal Elohim. Bamishkan ketiv, vayhi biyom kelot Moshe. Bibriyat haolam ketiv, vaykadeshu oto. Bamishkan ketiv, vayimshach oto, vaykadeshu oto. So certainly at the conclusion, there's a very strong parallel. As I've mentioned, there is, to be sure, much literature in Divrei HaChamim along these lines. If you look carefully in the text of the Torah, and I'm sure in much of what's being written today, because you're looking for messages on the Mishkan, for, daily, for weekly parashot messages, everybody notices this parallel. Well, I bring you back to the statement about Bitzalel, and all I'm dealing with is just dealing with the technicalities over here. Bitzalel's construction of the Mishkan was connecting letters just like Beriyat Shamayim Va'aretz. Everything makes sense. Beriyat Shamayim Va'aretz is a description of what the Mishkan is. The connection of letters is the coding. That's the way we talk about it. That much, I think, I think, I think we've decoded that second statement of the Hakam. I mean, we haven't necessarily given it much depth, but we've decoded it somewhat for making it coherent in the context of a greater understanding of what's taking place over here. But here's the interesting part. The interesting part for me goes like this. The description of what Bitzal El does 
is siruf otiot. He's putting things together. He's taking letters, combining them, and bringing forth something called mishkan. That is not exactly the way, if you asked me, I would describe the creation of heavens and earth. As a matter of fact, there are several midrashim that say it's all with one letter of some sort. In other words, what I mean by that is, as we've mentioned on more than one occasion, what creation is, in a word, is separation. Is it not? In the source, in the second side, in source number eight, you'll see on day one, Vayavdei ben or ben on day two, vihim mavdil, separation of waters. Vayavdel ben amayim. On day uh, uh, three, so there's separation between water and land. On day four, so there's the meorot, which are mavdil ben hayomu ben halayla. That's what creation is. Creation's not about bringing things together. Creation's about separating things, is it not? And yet, the Midrash here is describing how Bitzalel, in constructing, quote-unquote, Shamayim Va'aretz, what's he doing? He's bringing together Otiot. Isn't that a strange description? I would suggest the following. I would suggest the following. That the words in the Midrash are very particular. It's the creation of Shamayim Va'aretz. And Shamayim and Aretz begins it all. Bereshit bara Elohim et ha-shamayim aretz That's the first pasuk in the Torah. And as we've on many occasions repeated, the Gemara in Masechet Rosh Hashanah, Bet says, that is an utterance in and of itself which creates. What does it create? It creates something. What's something? That something is the source of everything. It's the potential with which everything comes afterwards. We've quoted it from Ramban. We've quoted it from Rashi. Look at Rashi in source number five. Rashi in source number seven. Rashi in source number five points out that the Me'orot Miyom Rishon Nivreu. The Me'orot really were there from day one. Really? I thought the sun and moon came on day four. That's the way I was taught. Says Rashi, on day four, and again, he's being medayek in the pasuk, yehi me'orot. There's already me'orot, but he's just placing them there, which means they were already there. It's as we've given the mashal on dozens of occasions, you handed the clay to the sculptor. That's day one. The formless matter, the matter which has no form with which, and the energy, the words of Jack always, the hyal in the words of Homer Hiuli in the words of, of Ramban Nachmani. Others have called it ether. It's the description of the creation of something which is everything which means to say everything is present from the onset. Rashi writes it as well. In Bereshit, Perek Bet, Pasuk Dalet, the Pasuk says, on the, the day, Source number seven, Everything was created on day one. Well, if that's the case, again, without a full understanding, it means that what we're effectively stating with Bitzalel in this Midrash goes as follows. Bitzalel, by bringing together letters, so to speak, brings forth the beginning of creation, which is Shemaim Ba'aretz. That's a fascinating reality. That, that's something unprecedented. It's hard for us ever to fathom such an existence. An existence where all is one? We're human beings. By definition, human beings live in a world in which there's separation, there's space. It's a word we're going to use in a few moments. It's that concept of simsum. It's the concept of God allowing for there being space within which we can inhabit and live and exist. Had everything been one, it's the way the Mekubalim described this or in sof, if it was all overwhelmed by his existence, there's no room for humanity. Which means to say the Bitzal'il notion over here is, so to speak, 
turning back the clock on regular human involvement. It makes a lot of sense in the context of the Mishkan taking the place of the beginning of creation. A fuller understanding is not there yet. I think we're getting there. I think the description of the Hachamim is very particular. It doesn't say the world as we know it. It says Shamaim Va'aretz. Shamaim Va'aretz is the first pasuk in the Torah. Bereshit Elohim What's Besalel doing in the Mishkan? He's bringing forth unity. The truth is, the Pesukim twice at least, twice to my knowledge, have this mention of unity by the Mishkan. Source 9, Source 10, Parashat Terumah, Parashat Vayakel, Ve'asita karsena hoshet hamishim ve'hevetat te kerasim balulaot ve'hibatat ohel ve'haya ehad. The Mishkan was this singular, unified, Overwhelming my word entity. Pasuk, uh, source number ten. Beresh eshemot lamedvav yod gimal. When it's actually done, vayaz hamishim karsezahav echaberet hayriot ahat elahat vakerasim vayhi hamishkan ehad. There's this singular unified entity known as Mishkan. It's ehad. That's the bitzalel that we know who brings it all together. That's the B'Tzalel who, so to speak, taps into Shamayim Va'aretz as it's all one. Instead of seeing separate, disparate uh, junctures and realities, it's all one. I now, before giving a greater depth of clarity, bring you back to the first Midrash in the Gemara. If that's what the rabbis are describing with our B'Tzalel, if the Mishkan is breaking away from a world of separation and bringing it all together, isn't that appropriate for the description of the B'Tzalel who turns to Moshe and says, hey Moshe, what are you telling me? Take this and take that and then put it into the Mishkan. No, it's a Mishkan we're talking about. We're talking about a single entity. What's in that single entity? Well, all these different pieces. These Mitrashim are very much complementary. It's one which leads into the other. The first one, if you write it properly, is the B'Tzalel vision of what the Mishkan is and should be. What is it? It's a Mishkan. It's Ehad. What's in the Mishkan that is Ehad? All the Peratim, all these details. That's what the description in that Midrash is as well, I'm convinced. I mean, the truth is, if you take a step back as well, and you imagine, this is you know a little bit off, but uh, same concept, just from a different angle, what the Mishkan was, and I've said it on many occasions, what the Mishkan was in my mind is the following. The Mishkan was a unifying project. Mishkan, according to Hachamim, according to many, comes in the aftermath of Heta Egel. Read the Pesukim in the aftermath of Heta Egel, and the Am is Parua, the Am is somehow opened up, and according to the Midrash, Tamud Yerushalmi, they're split into different groups. After times of tragedy, oftentimes we break up. Each person curls up in their own corner and has their own. That's the way many people oftentimes react. You unify them with a building project. I've told this story. I've told the story more than once. And um, when I when I visited New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina as part of some sort of unifying mission from Yeshiva University, so we got this ride. Skipping all the, the dramatics, which which it was dramatic. Anyway, the fellow who's the head of the community at that time, which was depleted, most of the people had moved away. The rabbi was certainly gone. Pulled over on the side of the road, and in a very you know scripted moment, turns to myself and my friends, and he says to us, "Listen." Our community has come really far since Hurricane Katrina. It was Shavuot. It was a 
who's Erev Shavuot, who's a few, few months after Hurricane Katrina, he says, but let me tell you, we've had all of these solidarity notions from outside. People came from NCSY, from the world, over and told us they're with us, they consoled us, they told us that they'll give us support. We got that, that's not what we're looking for from you. What we're looking for from you is to bring an internal solidarity. We want you to give us a vision of how we can now grow into being something greater. We need you to bring us all together. That's that's what the Mishkan, I always imagined that's what the Mishkan was. That's Vayakhel Moshe, Vayakhel Moshe. As he gathers them, why are you mentioning gathering together? It's this unifying project, which I think we all know from our own lives as well. Anytime an institution falls, it happens from time to time. Oftentimes you need to get behind some project. That's what brings everyone together. That's putting your money in also. That is, a, that is part of the unity. How else are you getting the people in? They're not all working. Some of them are artistic like me. Terrible. How am I going to involve myself? If I had money, it would be with money. It would be with energy. The point is, Kol Nidiv Lev was involved. You had Kol Hacham Lev. You had anything and everyone. Everyone got in to unify. But again, the Mishkan is this singular entity. That's what the Mishkan is in my mind. For another moment, before we piece things together, I want to just give an understanding of letters in the eyes of the Hachamim with regards to understanding that the ordering and the way that you place them together is a very close description psychologically of what it means to make sense of existence. So in this book, and it's, it's a fast, I, mean, I could carry this book anywhere because it looks like it says, has the name Sachs, and the picture looks like Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. It's not Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. It's a, a neurologist who passed away as well. His name was Oliver Sachs. I, to the best of my knowledge, they weren't even related, maybe distantly. Very different individuals. Anyway, but you know, again, without the top part of his head, which is bald and no yarmulke, it looks a lot like Rabbi Sachs. Anyway, he has in here, it's, it's a book called The Mind's Eye, and he has an essay called A Man of Letters. Sure, you know, A Man of Letters is already appropriate. It's not about Bitzaleu. If it was Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, it would be about Bitzaleu. This article is instead about some author, an author of some, I think, mysteries, maybe even know his name. What was his name? Howard Engel. He's the Canadian writer known for his Benny Cooperman series. I don't know what that is, of detective novels. Anyway, this fellow, this, this author in 2002, got hit with whatever the circumstances were. He had a neurological uh, uh, issue, and he was now incapable of reading letters. It's a man who's an author for his life, who not only reads, but writes, and in turn reads and proofreads and goes over it. His career is down the tubes, and his passion is gone. He now looks at letters, and they look like hieroglyphics to him. He looks at letters, and it looks like Latin letters. The letters of English, he cannot, and Latin's a that example. It looks like Hebrew letters, right? It cannot make any sense of it. A fascinating description of this person's uh, world within. He's, uh, you know, the way to deal with that. On the other hand, he's able to write. He notices if he thinks about the word and he puts it down on letters, he can write it. So he's thinking about a phone. He cannot read the word phone. He can't even envision it, but he puts his hand down to the, to the piece of paper and he puts out P-H-O-N-E. It's a fascinating situation. Anyway, as Oliver Sacks is describing the dynamics of this circumstance, says, he quotes from another Jew, to the best of my knowledge, no religiosity, Israel Rosenfeld, who wrote a book, I bought it only because, of, because he quotes him, I wrote a book about, uh, along these lines, it's called The Invention of Memory, and the description, I'm just going to read to you for a moment over here, he's describing a different, similar situation in which he distinguishes, well listen, numbers, Rosenfield, uh, Rosenfield writes, are always read the same way in every context. A, 
a, a three is three, whether it appears in the phrase three apples or a 3% discount. Or uh, three means three when it stands on its own. But the meaning of a number in a multi-digit numeral, num, numeral depends on where it is placed, right? So when it's put together as 3,000 as opposed, or 3,003 as opposed to 303, or whatever it is, now the number where it falls out is very significant. He says letters are almost always sensitive to how they're placed. Changing a single letter in a word can alter both its pronunciation and its meaning. Its significance depends on what precedes and what follows, which means, say, if you're going to describe creation through letters, it has everything to do with how they are strung together. Letters don't have an independence, I mean, they do, but their independence is not going to give you the picture at all. It's not a three which is the same over here or over there. It's everything dependent upon how it is the failure to capture this overall organization in which identical stimuli letters are constantly changed in significance that, that, that is characteristic of patients with verbal blindness, which is this individual. They cannot organize the stimuli in a way that makes sense of the symbols. The description then of Bitzalel as a creator who's able to place letters next to one another and know how to piece them together, I mean, that's what it's all about. The way you make sense of something, the way you understand how it comes together is how it's placed together, how everything comes together. Because if he just had my words, an Aron and a Menorah, but didn't understand it in a Mishkan, it's not an Aron and a, and, a, and a Menorah at all. They're an Aron and a Menorah only in as much as they make something large. Larger, uh, and come together. Well, that all being the case, we'll really just have one lingering detail, which will perhaps give us the fuller depth of the conversation, and that is this name, Bitsel'il, which the Hachamim told us in the first source, the Gemara Masech Berachot Daf Nunhe, it's Bitsel'il, it's in that shade, that shadow of God. What's the significance of the shadow of God, what at all, I certainly were constructing the Mishkan for God, what's that description? So I would suggest that there's a much greater depth over here, and it touches on that word that we discussed earlier, that that word simtsum. You see the description, it's in source number 11, and to a larger extent, source number 12, the description of first Arizal, Luria, and in turn, the interpretation of Ramhal in his book Da'atevunot, and Luria Arizal, of course, the father to a large extent of, well, of course, it's known as Lurianic Kabbalah, because his name was Ritzhak Luria, but he's a 16th century contemporary of Maran, a Kabbalist living in Sifat, and so his methodology very much stresses, it's in the Hakdamat it's Haim and elsewhere, this concept of Tzimtzum, so st- stating it, as simple as I can, because I only understand it simply, so certainly I'm taking away from its depth. It works as follows. Uh, the way I described it just a few moments ago, but instead of putting God at the center, think about a relationship. A relationship in which one person overwhelms the other is not a relationship at all. If my child is on a leash his entire life, their enti- her entire life, uh, then they have no independence. They're not in a relationship with me. They are rather my dog, and even less than my dog, because they're not able to free choose. If I overwhelm them with my presence, if I don't allow them out of my room at any point, then they are never understanding neither themselves nor me in my full sense, because I'm overwhelming them with my presence. If existence was as we would understand it and, and, and be able to cognize it the way it began, when it's all one, when the description is this light of God emanates throughout, Well, as human beings, we would have no place in that. 
because I could not freely choose if God was in every particle that surrounds me, in every air that I breathed in, God was in my mind, understandably there. I couldn't choose really. Everything and anything I would do, I'm not dictated by God, was God. I would not be able to in any way have any independence. So the ironic and paradoxical truth then says, Arizal is God contracts himself. He allows, quote unquote, for the facade of sorts, of halal, of space for humanity. And as a result, that, imagine it physically, although it's not physically, that beaming light is now veiled a bit. There's some sort of screen on top of it. Through that screen, I'm now able to freely choose. Does that mean that the light, again, piecing it all together, is altogether lost? Last night I gave the example from the book Yedid Nefesh, when I beam onto a wall a, uh, a, a slide. So the light is what's powering that vision on the wall. But I can't make out the vision, the, the picture on the wall, unless there's the screen in front of it. But if I ju- were to just place the screen and take away the light, well, nothing at all, which means to say there's this paradox. On the one hand, you need God to power existence. He's the source of existence. On the other hand, he needs to allow for space. So what is there? Say the Mekubalim, there's what's called Rishimu. There's a residue of his light. What is Ramhal? How does he refer to that residue of light? How would you describe a residue of light? You'd describe it as shadow, would you not? Says Ramhal and Da'atibunot, that's the shadow. The shadow is the Rishimu. It's the world within which we exist. If you look carefully, if you crack the code, if you're able to see in the shadow the light, you want to know what you're seeing in this world? You're seeing a world which appears as if it's disparate and separate, but in reality you see Ask that because you realize you're in that shadow and you know where the light is beaming from. That's the Bitzalel of the personality we're talking about. That is who Bitzalel was. The description of Bitzalel getting past details and turning it into something greater, getting past the space of existence and the disparate and separate entities within which we as human beings live, but seeing it all as one, that's Bitzel Kel. That's the ability to live in the shadow. What does that have to do with the Mishkan? That will explain, I think, our Midrashim. To succinctly put it together before we explain how that fits in perfectly with my vision, my understanding of what the Mishkan was, it goes like this. The first Midrash we had in the Gemara, in Berachot and Dafnun, he described how Bitzalel understands it's not details and then placing in the Mishkan. It's the Mishkan. It's Shamayim Ba'aretz. And then breaking it up. Vayavdel, Vayavdel, Vayavdel. That's the way it works. That's, that's Midrash number one. Midrash number two is, well, he's the one who's Misaref. He brings together, that's exactly, letters is a description of the coding of existence. His name in turn in the first Midrash is Betzel Kel. He understands it, says Moshe, you must be from the shadow of God because you realize you're in the shadow. You understand there's a light which is unifying behind you. God is emanating throughout. I mean, it's, it's, it's a crazy thought. It's a crazy reality. It's so to speak, he's on the precipice of, quote unquote, losing his freedom of choice. Because if you just see God, as we said, there is no freedom of choice. But that's the vision of the Mishkan then. Exactly. How that's is the being in the shadow. Certainly. Being in the shadow means when you're in the light, you don't have the choice. You're the light, you don't have the choice but the chidush of Bitzalel, of what Moshe sees in him is, you're in the shadow, but you understand you're in the shadow. Of course, but the, the, it's in contrast to, let me take me, not you, me who forgets that he's even in a shadow. 
Do you understand? In other words, you can get caught in a world which appears as if it's actually, using the words of the Kubalim, a halal rek. It's a world in which you, 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 lost, you lost vision of you lost vision of Or in Sof. Bezalel gets it. So within a world of shadow, he realizes he's in the shadow. That's the point. Why is like the world. Of course. Beautiful. Says Jack further. Says Jack further. If Mishkan's operative word and function is Avodah, it means it's a world of process. A world of process is not a world of or in sof of unification of all being there. So it's by definition you're in the shadow. I'll go a step further. That's the point of the Mishkan. That is the very point of the Mishkan, and I'll address it from the well-known midrash just to get across the point. The Gemara Masech Shabbat and Daf Pehet Amudalaf has the well-known description. Israel situate themselves at the bottom of the mountain. Say the rabbis, raise the mountain over to them and over them and said, if you accept the Torah, all right. If not. You'll be buried right here. What's the description of that midrash? It means we were compelled, we were coerced, we were forced to accept the Torah. Really? What's that description? It goes like this. Imagine, hard to, but imagine you were at the greatest moment in history of existence called the revelation of God in Ma'amad Harsinai. Everything in terms of our knowledge, our connectedness to God emanates from those moments. You were there. Are you telling me that that was so different than an or in sof? Are you telling me you're walking away from there and you had a freedom of choice? Sure, you said Nazir, very cute. Sure, not Nishma, and also, absolutely. Did you really have a freedom of choice? And let's say you said it before. Did you have a freedom of choice afterwards? Were you actually thinking with a Behirah of Sheet at the moment of Ma'amad Harsinai? Says the Gemara, Mikan Oraita. As a result, we have a claim we were forced into this. Not that God physically, literally raised a man over to us, but by doing Ma'amad Harsinai, by experiencing prophetically that moment, there was no choice. How do you then? bring forth the moment of Ma'amad Harsinai into real life, into life of Behira Hafshit. The answer is by taking that light of Ma'amad Harsinai and now just beaming it with a shadow. That's called the Mishkan. That is the Mishkan. If you recall last week, we began the class last week with the words of Ramban Nachmani. I love talking about them. The Mishkan was the microcosmic Ma'amad Harsinai. That's what the Mishkan was. It was taking Ma'amad Harsinai, which was a one-time event, and every time you entered the Mishkan, you found Ma'amad Harsinai. How so? The Kevod Hashem in Shemot Perik Gimal, which was Shochen on the top, Esh Ochelet at the top of the mountain, was now it was the call at Har Sinai which is now heard first from Shemot Perek Yotet and then to I don't know, somewhere later on, Shemot Perik Lamitet, so maybe Shemot Perik Mem, maybe at the very end as well. It was as Ramban Nachmani elaborates many parallels, the one I love to say, it's Mishkan Ha'edut, it's Luchot Ha'edut, it's the Aron Ha'edut, Edut of what? Edut testimony, all the Mefashim say it, of Ma'amad Har Sinai. It means this is the new Ma'amad Har Sinai. What sort of Ma'amad Har Sinai? Sure, unified. Sure, all together, but concealed. It's no longer radiating and beaming in your face. It's now in this concealed, 
chamber, you'll find once a year, but not even really the Edut of Har Sinai. So yes, you're living, we're living in a world in which the Or of God, the Or Ha'ensof is all there. It's behind the screen, which is projecting off the wall. But it needs to be a bit concealed in order for us to live as sentient, choosing the Hirachovshit human beings. That's the Bitzalil dilemma and paradox which the Midrash is bringing forth. It's describing not only a personality, not only a one time event, it's describing existence in totality. The Bitzalil model, the understanding of the Mishkan that they're coding in this Midrash is such that if you understand the Mishkan, you understand the blueprint of existence in our relationship with God. It's a world of Or and Sof. But it was now. Nivdal, we're in a world of Alma de Peruda. It's now in a world in which there's concealment so that we can choose freely. But the second you lose vision of the or which is there, the second you forget that you're living in the shadow, is the second you kind of lost track of all existence. It can't be so. There has to be an or. That's the Bitzalel vision. That's the understanding of Gong from Ma'amad Har Sinai to a Mishkan, from a world, so to speak, of coerced existence, of kafalem har kigigit, of or and sof, of unity, which has no room for process and progress in humanity, to one of Mishkan of concealment, where the or is certainly there, it's tucked away, it's concealed, it's now what we call the reshimu, it's now what we call the bitzel of kel baruch Adonai le'olam, amen amen.